Welcome to Subject to Blackout. My name is Timo, and with me, as always, is Mike from the Name Taken Podcast. Mike, how you doing? Doing good, Tim. How are you? I am doing excellent. Uh, this past week, we decided that we were going to watch and review the live-action version of Cowboy Bebop. We did. Uh, we did decide that. Yeah. And while you are only through six episodes... I didn't finish. Yeah. yeah and that's fine. Yeah. That's, yeah. No, that's fine. Shit happens, you know? You know, suck it. <laughs> I don't I'm know. Not, suck I, it. I, you're being awfully defensive. I'm perfectly fine with the fact that you didn't finish it. Uh, I would tell don't you. Don't give if me flack for this. <laughs> so, no, don't fuck you speak you. to me like that. <laughs> wow, wow! You're gonna have to find yourself a new podcast partner. <laughs> this is so inappropriate. This is extremely rude. This is this is not what Joe Biden would want you do to better. be doing right now. Do better. <laughs> Uh, we're all in this together against you. <laughs> no, I am fine with the fact <laughs> that uh, you've only seen the first six episodes. Uh, I did not watch all of the anime when we talked about it, so I feel like that's that's you did fair it? repayment. You lied. No, I said that on the podcast. Trust me, I edited it. <laughs> okay, maybe um, I wasn't paying attention. So <laughs> suck it. That I is guess. true. Uh, suck it again, me. Uh, but I have watched all of the live action series. So, uh, Mike, let's get your initial thoughts on what you've seen so far. Um, I mean, you there's seen there's an episode heavy. You haven't <laughs> watched a minute. Well, there's there's two things we're going to have to talk about. The first is the show itself. And the second thing is the divided reaction to the show. But yeah. Yeah. Which one do you want to hit on first? Well, I mean, let's just talk about impressions. Uh, I. So like we've talked about this a little bit. So let me let me recap my whole sort of like emotional journey around live action version of Cowboy Bebop, right? Mm-hmm. We knew f- 15 years ago they wanted to do a movie version with Keanu Reeves. Uh didn't happen. Stayed in development hell for a while. Got resurrected by Netflix as a series. And then we've been hearing about it for like over a year. Uh we knew about John Cho relatively recently. This wasn't something that we heard really far out, like some shows. This is yeah. like we heard about John Cho over the summer. Everything had already kind of been completed. So um, that was like, ooh, I wonder how John Cho is going to be as like kind of a leading guy. Spike is such a cool character. John Cho <coughs> is in Harold and Kumar movies. Uh, and other oh, stuff. I don't. I haven't seen it, but American sure Pie movies. And he's, I think he's in some Hikaru show. Sulu in J.J. Abrams. Yeah, I always forget that he's in that. <laughs> and also, I'm pretty sure he's like an FBI agent in a television show. You know, yeah. Like an NCIS, FBI, you know, BMI, Hawaii Five-0. There, sure. He's in something I'm pretty Jack. sure. Jack. He's was. in Jag. And yeah. so. Yep. <laughs> God, what a weird show Jag was. <laughs> and, and the balls, the name of show Jag. <laughs> So, what, John- what the fuck is Jack? <laughs> it's a military tribunal show. What? Why? What? If, yeah, it's what if a few good men was just like an entire series, and <laughs> no one was in it. <laughs> uh, how are we going to attract viewers? I don't know. Give one of them big boobs. I I, I don't know. <laughs> and medals. <laughs> so many jangly medals. So, so John Cho can he transition from Jack? To Cowboy Bebop, and 
I'd and say, I, yeah. Yeah, and I was I was suspicious. I was really suspicious of the show until the trailer started to drop. And I remember when the second one dropped where they incorporated the uh, kind of famous opening of the anime into the new kind of Netflix show. Mm-hmm. I remember sending you a message like, yo, this is awesome. Like, this yeah. is exactly the style that I was hoping that they would go with. And, um, and your your trepidation was also palpable because we started talking about it when they like set a release date. Right. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm super excited about this. Like, I heard the anime is good. And you're like, yeah, I love the anime. And don't, I don't trust the show as far as I can throw it. Right. And yeah, you 180'd as soon as you saw that preview. Right. Because suddenly they were prioritizing the things I wouldn't have expected them to prioritize. Yeah. The music. They had the original composer and the original band, Seatbelts. And they, the actors themselves spent a lot of try- time trying to kind of make their voices sound like the voice actors of Cowboy Bebop, which was pretty key. So even the Japanese creator, uh, Watanabe, of Cowboy Bebop, considers the English dub to be canon. He thinks yeah. it's better than the Japanese version. So capturing like the style of speaking was really key, and it seemed like everybody worked on that. Um, so I was pumped, and I was a little bit relieved going into the show that I felt like that they were prioritizing the right things. And I have to say, uh, I have some strong opinions that I'm not afraid to share about all these British and Australian actors that are just sort of doing stuff lately, just like with their accents. So that upset me in episode one. <laughs> That's, but I uh, think fair enough. I think the show's been great. I think it's rad. I think it has a really great energy. I think that this is the show is showing me there are a variety of different ways that you can sort of capture the authenticity of the anime. And I think there was an expectation that they would go all the way to 11 with the noir elements, make everything kind of gritty, really develop these characters as being kind of dark and kind of like alienated from each other. But instead they went for this much more like 90s, full Dutch angle, full color, kind of like sci-fi kind of sci-fi epic. And I thought that was actually a better way to go, having sat down and watched it. So I like I like it. I think it's really good. I think the pacing is fun. I think the acting can be a little bit hammy at times, but I think the it was deliberate. I think they made it hammy for a reason. Yeah. Um, I think the reinterpretation of a lot of the main characters is really effective. They couldn't do the same thing. They had to change some of the characters around, and they did it, I think, in a cool way. Um, I think they pay homage and draw from the most, the strongest elements of the anime while also injecting their own kind of like color and flavor. I think it, I think it rocks and I think it gets even stronger after the first episode. I think once they get the trio together, it comes into a rhythm and it's as somebody who watched the anime, it's really exciting to watch where they're drawing closely from the aesthetics of the characters and all these other things, but then also kind of how they're telling the stories differently because in retrospect, it really would not have been that exciting to just sort of see the anime a second time around. They had to do something differently. So yeah, so I'm, I'm actually really digging it. I'm digging John Cho. I'm digging the cast. I'm digging the aesthetic. 
digging the Dutch angles, Dutch angles all over the place. Yeah, I <clears throat> I don't think anyone needs that many Dutch angles, but it's not distracting. You do notice it. Yeah. Um, but after a while, it's so constant that it's just yeah. like, okay, this is, uh, you know, I was recently watching something uh, about Dutch angles on uh, on YouTube, and this was released prior to... Uh, this is from either a couple of years or a couple of months ago. So this is before we knew this was going to be Dutch Angles, the show. Yes. Um, and now, by the way, if anyone wants to see Dutch Angles, the movie, that is Battlefield Earth. And that was referenced in this video is like <laughs> Battlefield Earth just did it all the time. And it was very disorienting. Yeah. Every single um, scene at Dutch Angles. Yeah. yeah. There, there's even a scene in Battlefield Earth, which I recommend everyone watches, where there's two characters watching a security camera. And that is also Dutch angled. <laughs> <laughs> in the in this world, all of the angles are Dutch. All the angles um, are Dutch. So it turns out Dutch angles, uh, uh, not Dutch, uh, German should be oh, a Deutsch angle. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, German uh, expressionism in film. Shit. Uh, so hey, you learned something today. God is it Porsche or Porsche? Uh, it's actually pronounced Parch. <laughs> <laughs> Gif or Jif? Let's just do all these now. Oh, it's Gif. And if you say Jif, you can go fuck yourself. Yeah, you're a terrorist. <laughs> a soft G sound on a word that's spelled G-I-F? Get the fuck out fuck of here. Fuck you. <laughs> or should you, you Jif the fuck out of here? <laughs> Fucking assholes. Anyway, where the fuck was I at? <laughs> oh, Dutch, Dutch angles. angles. So when you see a Dutch angle in film, uh, it's just... Sort of become shorthand for tension or or uh, skewed perspective or whatever the case may be. A, you know, shocking twist is often filmed in a Dutch angle or a reaction to it, I should say. Um, but this show doesn't just do Dutch angles. It's also extremely colorful. Yeah. Um, and saturated. And to me, it has a very Scott Pilgrim versus the world movie. Uh kind of aesthetic to it. Yeah, they wanted to like, make a comic book movie. Yeah, which was, like a hyper-realism uh, because this world is hyper-real. And it's, it works for me perfectly. Um, I'm with you. I think the cast is crushing it. I don't really have any complaints. I I don't love the big bad. Um, vicious, yeah. Vicious. I don't love that actor. Um, I just don't like his face. Uh and and so so I'm, I struggle with that, but like you're not supposed to like the guy, so it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, uh, man, he's. I, aren't you excited for season two when he has to send his son to Hogwarts? <laughs> he does look like that guy, and we like get to learn more about his house elf. Oh man, <laughs> just you know, don't give him any socks; he'll fuck you up. He's got a katana. Uh, uh, yeah. So that's that's like my only like negative uh, on the casting. Uh, so Mustafa Shakir, who uh, plays Jet Black, yeah, uh, I was like, man, this guy's really good. How have I not ever seen him in anything? It turns out I have seen him in something. Okay, I thought he was really good in that, and I didn't know that he wasn't actually a Caribbean actor. He played the big bad in the second season of Luke Cage on Netflix. 
Oh, yeah, sure. With that incredibly thick accent. Yeah, no, he was great. Yeah. And I was like, wait, that's that guy? Holy cow. And that just made me appreciate his performance in both even more because it's like that fucking accent that he does in Luke Cage is I, I thought he was. I mean, I don't know the accent well enough. The to Patois. Yeah. But God damn. And yeah, he crushes it. He sounds completely like a different person in this. He sounds just like Jet Black from the anime. He does. Yeah. Um. Yeah. He he could be a little bit bulkier. I imagine Jet Black is a little bit bigger man. But like, yeah. Awesome. Faye Valentine is a really good character in this. Like in the other one. Uh, yeah. In- and I think, yeah, but you're going in the right direction where we do have to acknowledge some of the shortcomings of the anime mm-hmm. that had to be rectified in this interpretation. Yeah, like the other one, Faye, Faye's story about how she came out and then like, wasn't it like she was in a relationship with the doctor who woke her up and it turns out that he was the one who was, ended up screwing her over and it was just a kind of a weird, gross storyline. And this one, they kind of just streamlined it where they just get rid of all of that. We don't flash back to it. Maybe we will in the future. But she just, you know, she grew up with this mother figure and or or ever since she woke up, she's been with this mother figure and then she doesn't know who she was. And so every time she does something like spoiler alert, she fucks in this in this series. Uh, like she has to be like, well, I guess that's the first time I had sex because I have no idea. And that's like a really weird and terrifying concept of like being seven years old and then, you know, going to sleep and waking up and you're in the fucking future where I think Earth is fucked. Right. And everybody yes. like lives on Mars and other planets and shit. So, yeah, like. Not only is, like, everyone you know gone and you have no memory, it's like, Earth is gone, motherfucker. Like, so I I thought that character was really done uh, service by this interpretation. I think one of the challenging things about reinterpreting this for the modern era, too, is that the anime had characters who were women, but the empowered women were like the empowered women in the original anime were much more masculine. Like one of them was a truck driver in the episode. Have you met a queen? Yeah. Um, as like, as an example. So, uh, having feminine characters kind of like a little bit more well-rounded and empowered in this version introduces, new dynamics and new relationships between the characters that allow them to be more fully fleshed out because they have more complete people to interact with. It means that the characters can be all like a little bit more rounded. So um, like in the anime, as an example, there's sort of entirely unsubstantiated and never resolved romantic tension between Faye and Spike simply because they're two main characters who are like, implied hot mm-hmm. um yeah they're drawn real sexy like but they're never there's their kind of relationship to one another is never really fleshed out there's a lot of interaction of just the two of them at least so far for me in the series that is kind of like cool and refreshing that i wish would have been in the anime um so like that's been really really cool um i think that julia 
in the original anime as kind of like this damsel in distress and reinterpreting Julia as like a little bit more of like an agent in her own story is cool. It well, and they, adds a little bit also, of chaos to the story that I like. Yeah, and they they also kind of slow play it because in the beginning you think they're just doing the, you know, damsel in distress, like, you know, woman who, who does not have control of her own life. Right. And throughout the season they keep playing with that and augmenting it and you you do see that she actually has some say in what's going on and then later in the season um that that continues even more right yeah exactly i i i dug i dig that development um and the i like the re kind of john cho's interpretation of spike i think it's cool but the thing was that in the original anime, Spike was so aloof that he kind of like was sort of one track. Either, you know, like everything was kind of like adding up to him, kind of like running away from his past that was inevitably going to catch up to him like Shane. Right. But in this, there's like a little bit more nuance. We get like a little bit more of a character. There's like downtime and we see the way that people kind of like interact with each other in like a downtime. So like that stuff has actually been really cool. Um, I think it's refreshing. I've did been you, having fun. Did you? Speaking of that, that last point. Did you get to the scene of uh, shower bath shower yet? I did. Yeah, like, that it, to me was like Hunter Bear Ninja. Yeah, <laughs> when John Cho walks in and he's like, "Dude," <laughs> and he like tried it and he loved it. Like that is totally not something you'd get in the series because right. that's not ultra cool ultra casual like he's like he's that when he's out in the public quite often because that is definitely a distinct part of his personality but there's also this part of him where he's like well you know that was fucking great and i'm not too cool to be like yo a i tried this and b it fucking rocks (laughs) like yeah i i didn't really think about it that way but yeah he does feel like a more uh lived in like realistic character in that sense yeah, so yeah, so I dig I dig all that. I mean, and again, just to go back, but it they couldn't remake the anime just with actual people. They had to do something to distinguish the series. And I think that they chose the right things to explore. Yeah, we talked about this the other day um off off the pod was that in a dumber world uh, this is a grim dark series, like you were talking about, like heavy on the n- noir, like probably looks like Sin-, Sin City, and there's a murder every twenty seconds, and everyone just says, "Yeah, you know, no, everyone's just sort of nonplussed by everything." Yeah, just yeah, really a perfect word, just nonplussed, like right, single lines, to, you know, said to camera while while a cigarette is lit in the distance. And yeah, it's like, we've been doing that for a decade. Yeah, and we've it's, had enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I I was really stoked by just the whole feel and aesthetic uh, of this thing as I was watching it, because obviously the music is amazing, but it's even better than I could have imagined or hoped for. It really, really does play a character in this, this version of the series as well. Um, but yeah, I was just excited because... This doesn't look or behave like a lot of stuff that's being released right now. But yeah. I'm 
I, uh, you know, again, I've seen the whole thing. I loved it. And I, I, we can maybe pivot here to the, the reaction. Yeah, we should. Because yeah. I don't, I really don't get it. Uh, I don't get how you watch this whole thing. Maybe, maybe you watch a couple episodes because you're trying to get a review in and you're like, eh. But I don't know how you finish this and don't give it, you know, it's not perfect. And we'll get to the stuff that I don't like about the end of the series. But like, this was really good and entertaining and pretty funny in spots. And, and yeah, distinctive against yeah, a lot of original. other types of sci-fi coming out right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I think there's there's three things. The first thing I'll say is I do think it would be a cop out. Simply to say, like, oh, well, um, people were prepared to hate it. There's, there's like, a little bit more to it than that. But what I will say is when you... Because right now it has a 48 on Rotten Tomatoes. And now is that uh, score for the critics or for the fans? That's for the critics. So, yeah, you can't trust okay. the fan scores because people brigade stuff now. So Yeah, um, but that's the thing is, like, this thing is a 54% by fans, which right. feels not... Like, oh, a bunch of people logged in like to fake accounts and just review bombed it. It just seems like a lot of people don't really care for it or maybe get it. I don't. This is this is in the prime <laughs> window, I think. So there's this great article that I will dig up that um, I'll share with you and no one else will ever find out about because we won't bring it up again. Uh, but it's this Chuck, right. Chuck Klosterman article about... Um, if there's sort of like a particular formula to the way that people revisit an album 20 years later and they're and they're like, oh, actually, this was amazing. And like, we just didn't get it. I read a Pitchfork review about a Wilco album that they were like, yeah, we got this one wrong, folks. This yeah. album's fucking great. <laughs> and so and so Chuck Klosterman suggested that, like, if you're looking for the music that people are going to be talking about in like 20 years. You're not going to be looking at the things that have like a 90 on Metacritic. You're going to be looking for the things that have like a 50 because that means that they're sparking discussion and that there's something about them that's upsetting to a current group of critics that could inspire an entirely new group of people. Now, like there's some bullshit to that. There's definitely some bullshit. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. But I see that potentially being an explanation for Cowboy Bebop. I don't think it's a lot of people saying it's a 5.0. I think there's a lot of people saying it's either like a 2 or it's like a 9. And that's yeah. why it's kind of like at a 50. Um, so I'm interested to see how the response to this develops over, over time. I really hope that it's going to be a second season. And I've already seen some of the main cast talking about what could happen in a second season. So I know there somebody's lobbying for it basically. Yeah. Um, for decades, for two decades, really the fandom of Cowboy Bebop has on one hand been excited about, the possibility of a live action version of Cowboy Bebop because it it validates to a certain extent the enthusiasm and excitement that people have for the anime. On the other hand, everyone has been also to kind of to a lesser end of the spectrum apprehensive and to you know kind of like a more greater end of the spectrum openly hostile 
about an actual live action version. So people have wanted it, but also at the same time, been freaked out about it. And as this series was given a release date and coming, I think for a particular segment of the fandom, there was a narrow aesthetic window where people placed their expectations and their sense of what would be considered an acceptable homage of the original series. And this is absolutely not that. Yeah. This is not that sort of like seriousness. So, I mean, but then again, anime is also not serious. Anime is goofy. Um, Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I think, I think that as this is one of those things where as time goes on, people will warm up to it and revisit it. And I, I do think that there's going to be a contingent of people who kind of like propel it forward in kind of like a word of mouth way. Yeah, I, you know, as we've been discussing <clears throat> this here, I have pulled up some of the fan reviews on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. And unfortunately, it's kind of what you expect, like four and a half stars. Uh, you know, I, I really liked it. And then uh, one, you know, one and a half star. And it says this one was cruel. So I have to read it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Leaving us with something that not only doesn't deserve a sequel, but hardly even deserves to continue taking up storage space on Netflix's servers. They have like, so much storage space. Bro. Bro. They're an alphabet company. That I can <laughs> store this on my fucking laptop. Like it's it's not that big of a thing. Like, and it it's it's so bad they should delete it? No, no. Has that guy seen Red Notice? That guy should see Red Notice. Uh, he gave Red Notice 10 out of 5 stars. So, um, yeah, not as good as the original, but uh, not the worst that I've seen. Um, anime is much better. Like, uh, and five stars. Great story. Super fun. One star. John Cho just isn't good. <laughs> Four and a half stars. I'm sad more people didn't like this. Four and a half stars. A new look at the old classic. Three stars. Not as entertaining as I'd hoped. <laughs> Fucking ER, but yeah, like all of the bottom reviews are like everyone looks fucking kill yourself, kill themselves. Yeah, it's like (laughs) so. Okay, well, I'm not. That's not valid criticism. So I should take nothing you say seriously because yeah, apparently, unfortunately, there are a bunch of fanboys who are attempting to review bomb this thing. So, but yeah, I think I think there is something to be said about a show that challenges, uh contemporary uh you know standards but i mean standards in the way of like just kind of what's the the norm in in any genre of entertainment uh and this one i feel like definitely goes up against what the current culture you know what mainstream movie uh companies and and television production studios are pushing out and that's just like gritty and realistic and as much as i'm going to now be you know making fun of it the batman movie with with pattinson mm-hmm. looks to be like that to like this goes to 11 i mean um, DC but i'm also is super all like Zack snyder grimdark yeah. bullshit from now on it's yeah, all I mean, gonna be like that what if the joker uh shot people on television and it's like all right well it's not really what the joker does but okay sure. what if batman shot people with a gun like um what if batman kill was ben affleck 
What if Superman <sighs> was boring and a dick? <laughs> all, right, all right. Are you going to make him the most handsome person in the world? Well, of course. <laughs> like, he can't not be the most handsome person in the world, but he's going to be kind of a loner. It's like, what? Whatever. I Just fundamental misunderstandings of characters. What if Aquaman this- was the only compelling <laughs> Kill yeah, bro. <laughs> Batman, I saw you shoot that guy in the chest with a gun. That's pretty cool. I talked a fish. <laughs> I fought a crab man last week. It was wicked. Um, yeah, it just DC's problem is just a fundamental misunderstanding of characters in order to be grim, dark, and real and gritty. And this is not gritty. There's nothing about this that is gritty. No, um, there's violence, but oh, like, yeah. it's cartoon violence. It's this is closer to violence in Kill Bill than it is in that's Brett, you know, in than it is in like uh uh you know Saving Private Ryan or something that's like realistic and and you know yeah it's 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 stylized violence um and while there's plenty of that I mean specifically Kill Bill um that's just not currently what's in the palette of the culture right now but I was ready for it yeah. Do you also think that there's a possibility that this was maybe marketed poorly? Because I feel like there have been a couple of things uh, recently which have either been released on or as a film or as uh, a streaming whatever film or, or, or series where it feels like right now a lot of these companies, and I, I guess this kind of plays more towards uh, film releases, where it's like, they don't want to spend a bunch of money on marketing this stuff right. because no, not no one, plenty of people are going back to the movies, but like not the same amount of people as were before. So like there was that Ridley Scott film with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and Adam Driver. And like, I can't even tell you the fucking name of it because I didn't hear about it until it was out and was already a big flop. Oh, uh, yeah. So like. You know, and then Ridley Scott blamed millennials. And it's like, no, fucking blame the marketing department because I, as a millennial, didn't fucking know about this movie. And apparently it's really fucking good, which, shocker, it's got Adam Driver. Driver, yeah. <laughs> it's got Matt Damon and it's got Ben Affleck. Uh, but, and it's directed by Ridley Scott. He doesn't make shit movies. He makes movies maybe I'm not interested in. Yeah, but Ben Affleck like, does, but he's going to be balanced <laughs> out by everybody else. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. And it sounded like a cool story, like the last, you know, duel to trial by duel or whatever the fuck it was. All sounds cool. Never. I still have yet to see a preview or an advertisement for this fucking film. Um, And for this one, it feels like they started to do some marketing stuff and they released like the trailer or not the trailer, the uh, the opening title sequence. And then they released a trailer. But I just feel like there could have been. I don't know. No, there I could have been a greater tone out. Yeah, I didn't get the tone of the show from what I saw. I think releasing, especially like given your reaction, I think releasing the opening title sequence was like, a, "Hey, everybody, we're we're doing this right. Like, we're not gonna fuck around with this." That thing. could have been we in the spring. Works. Yeah. But yeah, you do that early on to be get everybody hyped, and then you release like three or four trailers where you can actually kind of get the tone of this, 
and like highlight the tonal difference just to sort of be like, hey, I agree. We're doing a different thing. They really didn't thing. prep anybody at all. Like everything, everything really came out in the last couple months or so. And like, I, I already know about the entire cast of the Avatar series. And I think they're only doing table readings. I don't think they've even done like, I don't even know if anybody knows what their costumes look like yet. So that's like a couple of years away and they're already getting information out about that. So yeah, I'm surprised that they didn't spend more time. I mean, also as an example of the the lack of marketing, the soundtrack, which we, we've said like a million times is one of the most important characters. It's okay. Didn't come out until uh, at least as streaming until a week after the show. And there's still like, a, there's still like a vinyl record planned. But like those are the types of things that if you're pushing this, you, you have, have it that right away. Yeah. Yes. Um, so it surprises me that that wasn't like incorporated into the hype is having all the music available and stuff. Um, so yeah, so, no, I agree with you. You know, uh, Apple TV shows they do like the Apple TV logo, and then they'll do like a preview, kind of like watching an HBO show live on HBO, um, like when it's released. They do the HBO thing. And then they'll do uh, a preview for like the next series that's going to drop like at the, you know, when the 10th episode of the thing you're about to watch drops, it'll be right after that. And they hype it up for like 10 straight weeks. And then you go, all right, I just watched Game of Thrones. I guess I'll watch this Barry show. And then Barry fucking rocks ass. Um, And that's like really great. What Netflix sure. needed to do was do the Netflix thing. And since everybody is going to fucking watch this intro and not press skip unless you're a fucking terrorist. Yeah, I don't skip it. Because uh, it's great because you you have like a minute and a half to like fuck around, like finish cleaning up dinner before you have to watch the show. So, yeah, I love it. Um, but right after you do the little Netflix and Flickr thingy that they got going these days, you then put in like a hey. You love the intro? The music's now available on Spotify and, and Apple TV or you know, Apple's streaming service. And also you can go here and and buy or click right here and buy, uh, you know, the vinyl like that needed to be done day one with the release because Netflix's dump and 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 just binge mode. Like any show released by Netflix has a week shelf life. If you don't see it or talk about it in that first week, it's old news yeah. and it's never again. Um, so releasing like, oh, hey, by, by the way, three weeks from now, we're going to put out a vinyl. No, it's too late. Right. It's already the culture has moved way the fuck past that. We're already yeah, talking Tiger about Tiger King's already out. Yeah, we're watching Tiger King season Blown two away. and a half, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it's just I feel like that was a mistake is and also as much as people are going to hate it, like everything works better in television when you release weekly. It's better for your show. It builds a bigger audience. I agree. I don't know why Netflix isn't. They could have even just split it up. They've split up other stuff. They split up uh, Sabrina. I stopped watching it because it got really obnoxious, but they split it up. Uh, or do what Apple's doing for a new series where they'll release three episodes the first week and then do it weekly so you can get a partial binge in. That's Um, the only reason we all freaked out about The Mandalorian. I think if it had been released all at once, 
it would not have been the same thing. No. It gave everybody no, a chance to absolutely. get on board. Yeah. And it gives you time for a story like The Mandalorian, which has intentional mysteries in it, um, which this show kind of has in fits and spurts, but only if you haven't really watched the anime or really any movie or television show in the last 20 years. Sure. It's not that complex of a plot. No. Um, plot tropes. Yeah. Wow, that guy, uh, he's really avoiding talking about his past. I wonder what's going on there. <laughs> like, yeah, he's a dark past. We all fucking get it. Um, yeah, so like, you know, you you, ha- you have time to build tension and build fan theories and let Reddit make some memes from each episode. Right. It's like, that's totally not going to happen now with this this first season. And that's a real bummer because I, again, it's not a perfect show and I, there's a lot of room to improve. Mm-hmm. But I thought this first season was really, really outstanding. And I agree. I'm it was a good start. Very much looking forward to a second season. And it's, it's aesthetically distinctive from everything else that's like science fiction right now. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no fucking kids from Stranger Things in it. So. Not not yep. a single child from Stranger Things. I know it's wild. Am I alone in not liking any of those kids in anything other than Stranger Things? Um, I don't like any of them. I mean, the, now obviously no one's hired the black kid for anything else because whoa. Know, racism. Oh, I, I'm not. I'm not saying that's okay. I just, but the kid with the teeth, yeah. and, and Finn Dickhard, um, Finn Wolfhard, yeah. He, uh, he's, he's still a minor. <sighs> Millie Bobby Brown seems like the most annoying person ever. Millie Bobby Brown. I follow her Instagram, which like, I guess Ooh, is questionable. I don't know. It's questionable. Um, but You're she, she texts Drake a lot, which is weird, right? It's weird. She and she oh. and Drake text and she's like, he's so yeah, like, we're so close. And you're like, I don't know if you should be texting each other. We just. Yeah, don't don't be hanging out with thirty five year olds. You're like 16. twelve. Yeah, yeah. Drake, be better. Uh, yeah, that's that's creepy. It, but also, she seems super annoying. So that's not a justification for an adult taking advantage of her. I'm just saying. Chill. Previous to your very sad story, <laughs> I thought she was an annoying bitch, and now I'm worried about her safety. <laughs> You can, uh, I guess you can have both. Yeah, but now I have to know that. Like, man, I really don't like her. She seems annoying. Drake's probably fucking her. Grooming, at least. <laughs> at least grooming. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. Uh, yeah, so uh, on that horrific note, uh, let's talk about some other things about this series that I, I didn't much care for. Oh, real fast. One last positive. Uh, episode nine was like a movie unto itself. And it's a little bit of a different story. And it's really terrific. And I can't wait for you to see it. All right. Episode 10. Uh, the season ends. Spoiler. And <laughs> things happen. And they do this dumb thing where this is why I fell in love with Ted Lasso. And why this ending made me so mad is Ted Lasso sets up all of these like television tropes like, oh, the boss isn't, you know, two friends aren't being honest with each other. And they're, you know, this secret is going to break up their friendship. 
But what that show does is it sets those up only to distort them and be like, oh, you you were doing this, uh, you know, to hurt me. Well, you know, I get it. I understand why you did that. And you came clean with me and were honest. So don't worry about it. And it's like, oh, my God, that's how human beings would react. And this show does the thing where they're like, oh, let's have them not be human beings. And everyone splits up at the end. The idiot ball. Sure. Everyone yeah. holds e- passes around the idiot ball. And sure. this show for nine episodes doesn't even acknowledge the existence of an idiot ball. And then in the last 15 minutes, they're like, you hold it. Now you hold it. Now you hold it. Which happens. And it was like, yeah. At one point, like uh, uh, Jet Black is having one of the worst days of his life. Not the worst. Probably, but one of the worst days of his life. And Faye's like, I'm going to leave you right now because I'm going to go do a thing I could literally do at any other point in the future. But I'm going to do it now because now is emotionally devastating for the fans. It doesn't make sense for me as a, a character and it makes me seem like an asshole. But... The fans are going to be real tense about this. It happens like, in the an- <clears throat> it happens in the anime at the midpoint too for asteroid or for the the Jupiter episodes. But yeah, it happens. It happens in the anime too, and it's weird in the anime that they all split up and they come back together, and also they don't really talk about it. You'd expect them to talk about it, but they don't really talk about it. Yeah, yeah. It's it was really dumb and disappointing, and uh, Jet Black just not being. Not understanding, uh, you know, that when it is revealed what uh, Spike's past is, um, he's just not understanding of Spike at all in a way that, again, you wouldn't do to someone who has been your, you know, brother and your partner for the last like five or seven years or whatever. And instead, just immediately like. I mean, there's also a secondary reason uh, that he's he's mad at spike and with some justification uh some serious justification but it just it didn't work for me and it just felt dumb and and then out of nowhere you know spike gets left all by himself and fave fucks off and jet black decides that he doesn't want to be crude with them anymore and then we just see a you know beat up spike get harassed in an alleyway by Ed for three seconds. <laughs> Great. And then credits. Uh, and I was just like, okay, well, I guess Ed's coming in in this next season. And I don't know. There was something today that I saw where I guess some people have a problem with Ed. Maybe it's more of these fucking fanboys just bitching about shit. But I don't know. Ed looked like Ed and was acting like the Ed I know. So sure. I get yeah. I I will let you know. I'll see when I finish it. I think one of the things that made Ed interesting in the anime that I don't think has been replicated because it would be tough actually for like live action, but that Ed was sort of like gender ambiguous. It's only revealed Ed is a girl very late in the actual series, but I think it becomes more obvious right away. Uh, in 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 the, the live action. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know again because I skipped around in the anime. I didn't really know about the ambiguity. I I just heard the name Ed in a in one of the episodes, and then all of a sudden they were talking about she and her, mm-hmm. 
And I was like, oh, Ed, Ed's a weird fucking name for a, a lady. Uh, so, yeah, I, I didn't pick up on that uh, in my viewing of the anime episodes. But, uh, yeah, it seems like she's a girl. But, yeah, I, I I mean, it looks exactly like Ed. And it's for maybe 10 seconds. So, I don't know. Uh, people, the character could change completely in between now and a uh, potential season two. But I thought it was completely not newsworthy all right mike well that does it for our discussion of the live action netflix version of cowboy bebop season one maybe when you finish the series we can talk about that some more sure but right now let's take a little break and we'll be back with more next week on Subject to Blackout. As some of you may know, Mike and I met on the eve of high school just over 20 years ago, but our friendship did not blossom until our junior year. That year, Mike and I were in virtually every class together, and Halo 2 had just dropped, and its popularity exploded through our friend groups. What was also exploding was internet culture, with the ubiquity of now truly fast internet speeds and the cusp of internet 2.0. Going online didn't mean just being a passive observer anymore, it meant interacting with others and the medium, but also sharing creations built for or by internet culture consumers. So while Mike and I became close friends poning noobs on Halo 2's online multiplayer. It also meant a small group of Halo fans found a way to create short comedy sketches using that same Halo franchise, and what would be later dubbed memes. In honor of the release of Halo Infinite, Mike and I are revisiting the seminal online machinima series Red vs. Blue as we reminisce about and look forward to the aspects of the Halo series that we love. So join us in watching Season 1 of Red vs. Blue on YouTube this week on Subject to Blackout. All right, Mike, uh, we are back and we we ran a little bit long on that uh, discussion, but I think for good cause and people should absolutely go out and seek out Cowboy Bebop on Netflix. Totally. Um, but is there anything else that you have been consuming this week pop culturally? I've been so I'm all caught up on three episodes of Hawkeye. And yeah. we can. Yeah, we can wait to dig in really until you've watched it. But the one thing that excited me about Hawkeye is that they rebooted the character with new artwork maybe seven or eight years ago. So they rebooted the character as Kate Bishop and they also redid all the artwork. And that's actually how I got into Hawkeye as a comic. Like I tend to go more towards like image or vertigo because they have a lot of more interesting, I think for me, uh, comic ideas and aesthetic ideas can i just real quickly say what the fuck is happening at your house uh there's helicopters and cars yeah there's a helicopter outside i don't know what you do what did you do somebody is finding out about the cocaine (laughs) (laughs) like goodfellas uh uh, flush it down the toilet uh but then i'm sorry 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 to interrupt but go on so the intro and the text for Hawkeye is all based on this like new visual aesthetic, which I think is so cool. So I was excited for the series because I thought they would be drawing on this sort of like contemporary comic narrative. And it's like it's actually been pretty rad. So yeah, I've, I've heard that uh, praise before is that it was a, you know, a much well-received run on the Hawkeye comic. Yeah. And apparently they're sticking pretty close to like some of the storylines and themes and stuff of that. They are. Yeah. And they're like utilizing some of the same villains. So Echo is one of the key villains. 
Um, but in that version of like of Hawkeye, uh, disability plays a pretty significant role. Um, the main villain is deaf. Hawkeye has a hearing aid, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, which, like, well, and of course, Kate Bishop is a woman, so yes. <laughs> so she has periods. The worst handicap. Yes. So it makes it makes for interesting interactions. Um, that was a joke, by the way. Yeah. Well, you'll have to edit it because you're going to get in trouble. <laughs> but, oh, it's staying in, and folks, that was a joke. But it was a joke, folks. I'm not grooming Millie Bobby Brown. Okay, I'm not Drake. <laughs> but it's allegedly it's one of those things where there are two directions to go. You could have characters with different disabilities, and then every few or four, you know like once every scene kind of like turn towards the audience and be like, look at how progressive we are. Or alternatively you like use them as really interesting narrative devices and really interesting aspects of character development without like calling attention to it. So um, seeing the ways that um, Hawkeye, Clint Barton, and kind of like new Hawkeye, like Kate Bishop interact with each other kind of like around like hearing loss and stuff is actually kind of cool. And having Echo, like a fully deaf villain, is also kind of neat. And it was neat in the comic books, but it's also like it's neat to see it fully developed like on screen. So I've I've been enjoying it. I think one thing about the series that's going to make it difficult to revisit is that it is very Christmas themed. Yeah. So you're not going to want to watch it in January or February. Like you're going to want to, if you're going to binge it, you're going to want to do it in the next few weeks. Well, and this, you mentioned that because I, I spoke to you earlier this week and I was like, I tried watching the first episode and halfway through, I just fucking turned it off. And I was like, I'm just going to binge this if it's good when it comes out and then Disney being Disney and Marvel being Marvel. They're like, Oh yeah, Tim, we know you're getting a little fatigued by all these TV shows. Cause first two kind of sucked. And the third one was okay. And <laughs> you're thinking this one's not going to be very good either. Cause Jeremy Renner fucking sucks as Hawkeye. Well, guess what, bud? We're going to put Kingpin from the Netflix series in it. And I was like, God damn it. Now I'm going to watch yeah. it. Motherfuckers. <laughs> So as soon as I saw that on on Wednesday or whatever, like the whole Internet, I don't care if you just got spoiled by me. The whole Internet did that to me fucking at six in the morning on Wednesday. Something dropped. (laughs) And everyone's like, oh, my God, it's actually him. And yeah, they're fucking bringing back. uh, What's his bucket to play Kingpin? Um, uh, From from uh, Daredevil. Ben Affleck. No, uh, <laughs> the guy who plays Sugar Water. Man yeah, no, Black. I know. Uh, yeah, what is his name? Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio. I remembered it yes. on my own. I didn't have to Google it. Yeah, and Vincent D'Onofrio. Was you didn't go for like Full Metal Jacket. He was in Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. I don't know. I've never seen that movie. Okay, Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> Uh, I think I've seen the first half of it, and then like it was late, and I went to bed. Remember the bald fat guy? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. there you go. That was Vincent D'Onofrio. He's method, dude. He's method. I think you're thinking of a different person. I don't think so. Okay, well, 
We'll find out. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I uh, I got immediately hooked as soon as they said that. So, yeah, I'm going to end up watching it. I'll probably play catch up this weekend at some point. But, yeah, um, those fuckers, you know, I think I'm out and they keep dragging me back in. And, uh, yeah, I'll just be watching Disney shows forever. Thanks. Thanks, Disney and Marvel, for giving me everything I've ever wanted. Fucking assholes. So, uh, yeah. Also, I've heard that this is much smaller scale. No one's going to be trying to blow up the whole world or, you know, take over a city in New Jersey. This is like gang violence and, and shit. Much like the Netflix series or series is. Siri? The, uh, Siri? <laughs> Did I activate your phone? Siri Pods. Uh, no, I have uh, Android. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, yeah, so I'm excited to see that it's uh, smaller scale, more realistic, a little bit toned down. And, you know, those series were about just Hell's Kitchen, not, you know, saving the world. Right. It was about fighting local crime and shit. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm now I'm looking forward to watching it. It's the fucking Jeremy Renner. God, Jeremy Renner. Disney. Disney loves doing this. It's like, oh. You don't like Thor 2? You think Thor 2 sucks? It's hugely important in Endgame. Oh, what's that? You don't like Jeremy Renner? You think Hawkeye sucks? Guess what? Vincent D'Onofrio. <laughs> You're just like, ah! You motherfuckers! Even our misses are hits. Mm. <laughs> uh, and I just hate Disney and Marvel. So I mean, it's because of the extended fight. universe. Like, it makes you watch all yeah. of them. It's like drugs. They're like, yeah, you want a little bit? Oh, you want an endgame? No, you need all well, you're not gonna get this reference. <laughs> you better watch this show. It's six hours long. Suck my dick. You'll do it. You'll do it. <laughs> uh, they win again. Alright, Mike, that does it for this episode. Uh, for those of you listening along, you can head on over to subjectoblackout.com to reach out to us. You can also find links to all of our socials, including Instagram, Patreon, Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube. You can feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on any of those. And lastly, you can find Mike on Instagram and Twitter at the Name Taken Podcast. Mike, thanks for joining me. Right on. Have a good one.